Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Katie Stallard, and you're listening to World Review from the New Statesman, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Today, I'm speaking to Bonnie Lin. Bonnie is the director of the China Power Project and a senior fellow for Asian security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. We'll discuss where China stands on Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine, whether Beijing is beginning to adjust its approach and whether China might provide Russia with military aid. Bonnie, thanks so much for joining us. It's great to have you on the podcast. Katie, thank you so much for inviting me. This is such an important topic, and I'm really delighted to join you today. Great. So let me start by asking you just to give us a a real kind of top-level overview here and just set the scenes in terms of where China stands and how the Chinese leadership, as best as we understand it, views the conflict in Ukraine. Sure. So China's position on Ukraine has been shifting gradually over time. At the very beginning, around February 24th of the Russian invasion, China's position on it was almost entirely pro-Russian. Now, as China has been observing what Russia has been doing on the ground, its position has gradually shifted to be less pro-Russian, but it's still very far from neutrality. A couple of factors underlie China's decision, as well as its complicated calculus with respect to Ukraine. The first is on February 4th, just a couple of weeks prior to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, China had already signed a high-level joint statement with Russia where the two sides affirmed a no-limits relationship, so a significant deepening of China-Russia relations. So regardless of what Beijing says it knows about military ambitions with respect to Ukraine prior to the conflict, Beijing is in some ways locked into supporting Russia, either that or reneging on its agreement that it recently signed with Russia. On the other hand, China also has a significant interest in terms of trade, but also ties with Europe. It has had a strong relationship with Ukraine. And of course, there is the aspect of U.S.-China relations, of which China was assessing was not going in the direction that it wants. But fundamentally, as it looks at Ukraine, the main concern from China's end, and when we're hearing more and more from Chinese scholars, is that 
it's incredibly difficult for China to ever really strike a uh, position against Russia. So at most, what China could do is strike a position that is, from their perspective, more neutral than not. Why is that? Why is China so reluctant to take a, a more direct stand against Russia here? Uh, so part of China's perspective is that as it views the international landscape and as it views some of the most important features of its security environment, mainly its relationship with the United States, its relationship with Russia, its relationship with Europe, particularly with these three most important powers, it's seeing that its relationship with the United States is becoming more and more confrontational. We've seen Chinese scholars writing even before the Ukraine war that China and the United States are entering a new Cold War. So it doesn't assess that U.S.-China relations will be going in a positive direction anytime soon. And then it's viewing Europe as being pulled more in the direction that the United States is going with respect to more anti-China views. So then when it looks at its the international landscape, it really only sees Russia there as a potential partner, close strategic partner that shares China's values, ch- shares China's beliefs, as well as shares China's frustrations with the West. What we're hearing more and more from Chinese interlocutors at the track two level is there is a clear fear that If China sides with the West against Russia, China will be next. And when I mean China will be next, it's not that China will invade Taiwan next, because Beijing doesn't think about it that way. Beijing thinks of it as the next country on the U.S. target will be China. So we're hearing a lot of language from China saying that it views NATO expansion and Western quest for absolute security as the, co- the one of the root causes of the Ukraine conflict. And some Chinese experts are even saying that NATO may further expand to Asia. But more importantly, China sees significant parallels between what the United States is doing in the Indo-Pacific with what the United States and NATO had done against uh, Russia with respect to Ukraine. Does that put China... I know you've written an excellent essay uh, about this in in foreign affairs, talking about how, how how difficult the calculation is for China here, and it almost seems like it's a lose lose situation. That if it stands against Russia, it risks being isolated in future in terms of the strategic rivalry with the United States. But if it doesn't, then it risks reputational damage. Um, it risks worsening relations with EU countries by being seen to be standing at Russia's side as it commits terrible atrocities in Ukraine. How difficult a a balancing act would you say this is for the Chinese leadership right now? So that Foreign Affairs article was uh, co-authored with my colleague, Ju Blanchett, and he's... Full disclosure, (laughs) Ju Blanchett is also my husband. (laughs) Right. He's uh, one of the top scholars on China. So I was really delighted to work with him. With respect to the balancing act that you're talking about, what I see is less and less of messages from or discussions with Chinese experts that they really are trying to do a balancing act. It seems more and more as the Ukraine conflict is further evolving and as we're seeing a significant censorship within China, censoring any articles or content that is critical of Russia, I'm not hearing from my interlocutors 
Chinese lawgivers that they are really being torn. Instead, what I'm hearing more and more is that China is worried that it is next. China is worried that what the United States and what NATO is doing against uh, Russia and Ukraine will be contributing to more tensions in the Indo-Pacific. Chinese scholars are asking, you know, if we work with the United States, what are upsides for us? Is there any guarantee that the United States will take a different position on Taiwan? And if not, then it's implied. Why would we work with China? In one recent discussion I had, a Chinese expert flagged a really catchy slogan by a popular Chinese news anchor. And she described uh, the U.S. request that China uh, work with the West on Ukraine as, quote, can you help me fight your friend so that I can concentrate on fighting you later? Mm-hmm. End quote. So I'm hearing more and more of this that I'm not hearing, for example, Chinese interlocutors say, we need to balance all these interests. It's really difficult for us. You know, we're really trying to navigate this. It's more and more of we're concerned about U.S. behavior. U.S. is bad. NATO is bad. Why? We know what Chinese national interests are. Don't tell me what Chinese interests are. Oh, that's fascinating. How important do you think the personal relationship between the two top leaders is here, Xi Jinping and, and, and Vladimir Putin? How, how does that play or not into the calculations here? I think it plays a great deal. I mean, obviously, from those of us who are observing how Beijing acts from the outside, we can't fully know what's in the Chinese leadership's head, in particular what's in Xi's head. But we know from the public discussions, as well as the large number of times she has met with Putin, that she very much values Putin as a close friend and perhaps one of his most trusted friends. We also know that she assesses that Putin has played a weak hand quite well. I don't know if she still believes that assessment, Mm -hmm. given what's happening in Ukraine, but we know historically that's been Xi's assessment of Putin. Mm -hmm. So when China looks at what's happening in Ukraine, I think part of the reason why China has this significant censorship of anti-Russian sentiment, as well as thoughts within China, is because of the fact that criticism of China's policy on Russia is in some ways criticism of Xi Jinping himself and the position that he's taken because so much of the China-Russia strengthening relationship was indeed fueled by the close relationship between the two leaders. Mm. I think that's a really important point. How do you think that could translate into actions? What sort of stance would you expect to see China take, for instance, on perhaps more economic assistance to Russia? Do you think China will try to to really support and come to Russia's aid now and facilitate to some extent its ability to continue to conduct this war? So right now, to date, based on the available public information, we are not seeing that China is actively evading or challenging U.S and Western sanctions on Russia. We do know that China has indicated that it does not want to be a target of sanctions. We've seen to date China withhold this uh, sale of aircraft spare parts to Russia. And some Chinese firms have also paused financing of Russian commodities such as coal and LNG. But on the other hand, earlier this week, we saw Chinese ambassador to Russia a note that the market situation in Russia 
poses a good opportunity for Chinese firms. He encouraged Chinese businesses to fill the void, and he noted in particular the role of private, small, and medium-sized enterprises. Looking at Ambassador Zhang's remarks, it, it made me wonder if China might, on the surface, at the most public level, what China would do is portray an image that the Chinese government and large Chinese state-owned entities are largely abiding by the sanctions. But it's possible that privately, China could turn a blind eye to some actors that are smaller, more private, to still support Russia economically. This is obviously an area that the international community needs to monitor very carefully. How would that compare to the the kind of approach that they've taken since 2014, post-Crimea and the international sanctions? Would it be fair to say that we've seen them, on the one hand, come out rhetorically against sanctions, but on the other hand, really walk quite a careful line in terms of particularly not having the, the major institutions and the major state-owned companies be in danger of themselves being perceived to be violating those sanctions? You know, that's a really, really good point. And I think one difference between now and 2014 is that in 2014, China didn't have nearly as much vested economic interests in Russia, nor did China have as deep in political and military relations as Russia now. Part of what happened after 2014 was Russia, as a result of the Western sanctions, turned east and significantly strengthened its relationship with China. So in 2014, it's likely that China was not that interested in helping Russia evade the sanctions or take significant action in that respect or privately encourage its firms to to take action either way. But now, given how much the relationship has deepened, given China's assessment that it is viewed by the United States as its primary challenge and strategic competitor, that there's a lot more at stake for China now to support Russia as one of the very few close and strong strategic partners that China has. Do you think that could extend right up to forms of of military support? I mean, what do you make of of these reports that certainly US officials are saying they've seen intelligence that suggests China is somewhat receptive to these requests so far from Russia? So I think China will be relatively cautious when it comes to military equipment. But I think it's also important to differentiate the different types of military equipment. There are equipment that is viewed as primarily for military use. So, for example, you're talking about very clear uh, offensive weapons. On the other hand, you have dual use equipments that could include, for example, the spare parts I was telling you about that could be used to help either civilian aircraft or military use aircraft. So I think China will be incredibly cautious to not provide any equipment to Russia that it cannot argue that this is not, you know, potentially for civilian purposes. Mm-hmm. But on the dual use side, I think there is a lot more flexibility for China to eventually provide these items to Russia, saying that these are not intended to support the efforts. It's broadly intended to support Russia's economy or Russia's civilian economy. A part of China's calculus is it does not want to be associated with Russian aggression in Ukraine and the negative implications of that. But at least what I am seeing right now is that this desire to not be associated with Russian aggression in Ukraine is outweighed by China's desire to maintain strong and close ties with Russia. 
You mentioned your discussions with Chinese interlocutors during these Track Two dialogues. Do you detect that that there are concerns about how this conflict could damage China's interests more more broadly? I mean, I'm thinking, for instance, that we we saw the the article by Hu Wei talking about how you know the, the longer this conflict goes on, the more this is going to galvanize and invigorate Western alliances. Do you detect that that there is concern about how this, in the medium and, and longer term, could be certainly not in China's best interests and, and perhaps actively harming them? Uh, yes, for sure. But I would note that these voices are not in line with the official larger direction of Chinese policy. So when it comes to even discussions、uh, at the Track Two level. Those who are saying maybe China should be a little cautious of what's happening in Ukraine, and maybe there could be much longer-term negative ramifications for a closer China-Russia relationship. Those folks are not the ones who are speaking the most in these discussions. Those experts are much more careful and limited in their remarks, whereas those who are openly critical of the United States, NATO. Openly blasting the West for our actions and blaming us for, as well as in some cases, Ukraine for the conflict in Ukraine. Those are the ones who are speaking much more freely, and in general, their views are not being challenged by other Chinese scholars from their side.、Mm-hmm. Was, so I was I was going to ask you, and I think you've perhaps already half answered this, but just to to look at how I guess the narrative is shifting somewhat, particularly among more more Western facing. Chinese media outlets. We've seen, for instance, CGTN reporting somewhat on some of the Russian atrocities in Ukraine over the past week. And I, and I saw a, a tweet from a, the British MP Tom Tugendhat the other day sharing this tweet from CGTN and saying China's state broadcaster is sharing reports of atrocities in Ukraine. Putin stands alone. What do you do? You make of that? Do you? Think that is, and I, and I suspect you. I suspect the answer to this is is no. That idea is supported by the facts, or do, or do you think what we're seeing more here is more of a kind of nuanced media and, and propaganda messaging starting to develop on the Chinese side? So I would say two things. One is we have seen China's position shift on Ukraine, but that has not fundamentally altered. The the direction that China has set for itself in terms of close ties with Russia,、uh, so I would add to your list of what China views as shifts in its Ukraine position. As Chinese interlocutors have pointed out, that China has actively engaged in diplomacy with many actors.、Uh, if you read some of the the Chinese statements, they note that President Xi Jinping spoke with Putin the second day of the conflict. And that, from the Chinese perspective, may have contributed to Russia's willingness to hold peace talks with Ukraine. There's also Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi's six-point initiative to provide humanitarian aid to Ukraine. We've also seen China's ambassador to Ukraine voice support、uh, for the path chosen by Ukraine, and he also praised the great unity of the Ukrainian people. So we are seeing that China, to some extent, is carving out some distance between. Russia's position on Ukraine and its position, but I would note that as of right now, we have not yet to see President Xi speak to Ukrainian President Zelensky. We have yet to see China condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine, 
And we have yet to see any clear uh, indication that China is pressuring Russia in any way or form. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And do you think as part of that and as, as part of, I think, the stance that we're seeing Chinese officials take these calls for peace talks, do you think China could have a role to play there? What do you make of the idea that China could convene or play a meaningful role in peace talks between Russia and Ukraine? I am personally not that confident that China can play that meaningful of a role. I'm worried about two things. And so one is that China will use these calls for dialogue, these calls that all sides respect the legitimate security interests of the other side to support some of the Russian requests of concessions from Ukraine. The second aspect that I'm worried about is that China's call for a dialogue might be buying Russia more time to do what it needs to do to be able to domestically, or at least from Putin's perspective, say that they've accomplished what they want in Ukraine. With respect to China's peacemaking role, I think it's really important to not you know, completely rule out the possibility that China is trying to be constructive, but we really need to be able to evaluate and objectively evaluate what China is doing based off of, is that changing anything on the ground in Ukraine? For example, is that reducing Russian military aggression? And is that saving Ukrainian civilians or Ukrainian lives? We shouldn't just view the number of Chinese, you know, whether those are bilateral meetings or multilateral meetings that China calls as a good faith effort on China's part to really advance the objective to end the conflict in Ukraine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both from as little as £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's one euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer. From the New Statesman World Review comes France Elects, a special podcast series exploring the main candidates and the big issues shaping the campaign to be France's next president. I'm Ido Vok, and over the next two months, I'll be joined by special guests to dissect incumbent Emmanuel Macron's record, his rivals to the right and left, and key issues such as foreign policy and the climate. Just search World Review on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Can you help us understand the some, somewhat more of the domestic political calculus here from the, the Chinese leadership and thinking particularly in terms of the importance of this year for Xi Jinping ahead of the 20th Party Congress? How does this conflict harm or at least, I guess, complicate the preparations for what is a really critical domestic agenda for, for Xi this year? I don't think Xi was expecting the Ukraine conflict and was expecting sort of the larger ramifications of the conflict and the possibility that China may be further involved in terms of supporting Russia. So let me unpack this a little. So first is looking back at Chinese statements, what the Chinese press were predicting very early on in Russia's evasion. Most of the Chinese predictions were largely echoing what Russia was saying, basically that Russia was only engaged in a special military operation and that Russian activities would be concentrated in eastern Ukraine. Some of these articles have now been pulled from Chinese websites because they're no longer true. They weren't backed by actual Russian actions afterwards. So I see that as indication that even if she knew or suspected that Russia may use some force against Ukraine, there was no appreciation of the full scale of Russian military ambitions or political ambitions in Ukraine. So in some sense, she may have stumbled into a conflict in Ukraine that he wasn't quite prepared for. So what we're seeing now in terms of the Chinese response is China trying to strike a as neutral of a path as possible, which we discussed earlier is really not that neutral, and trying to basically decrease the cost for China in terms of Western uh, responses, as well as decrease the potential that Western sanctions may hit China. But so far, we are not seeing that this is having significant impact in terms of either undermining Xi Jinping's power or his goals to consolidate a third term within China. So it's really hard to say if the Ukraine conflict thus far has had a significant impact in derailing anything that she wants so far to achieve by the 20th Party Congress. I wonder if you could just give us a sense of how this is being received in China itself, I think it can be easy to, to look at some of the, the coverage and the commentary 
here in the United States and, and imagine that everyone everywhere must be horrified by, by what's happening in Ukraine. What sort of popular reaction are we seeing in China and on Chinese social media in response to the conflict? Is there support for Russia's actions? Oh, for sure. The What's left on China's social media is mainly support for Russia. There's quite a bit of mirror imaging in terms of looking at what Russia is going through and basically seeing, well, how the West has pressured Russia is very similar to the way that the West has and is pressuring China. There are, however, not a small number of dissenting voices that are saying, no, what China is doing is not in any way neutral with respect to Ukraine. Some Chinese netizens have pointed out that if China really was sincere about ending the war in Ukraine, for example, its judge on the International Court of Justice would not have vetoed the resolution that was calling for Russia to end its military operations in Ukraine. So so there are definitely voices on Chinese social media that are pushing back against the dominant narrative. But overall, I would say most of what Chinese citizens are supporting are these very pro-Russian lines and, and sympathy towards Russia. So let me ask you one one final brief question, uh, which is, do you think that there are significant developments that could really shift this calculus that you've outlined so clearly from Beijing's perspective. You know, I'm thinking, for instance, if there are credible reports that Russia has used chemical or biological weapons in Ukraine, do you think that would amount to a red line? Are there clear incidents that you would see as perhaps triggering a meaningful shift in the Chinese leadership's view? Or do you think that broader context and the need to retain Russia as a strategic partner in the rivalry with with the United States effectively trumps all other concerns? That's a really good question. And one that was I was asked, I want to say two weeks ago, I think two weeks ago, I was a little bit more optimistic that maybe there are clear red lines that if Russia crosses them, that China would think about significantly decreasing its support to Russia and maybe even fundamentally challenging the direction that China needs Russia as a close strategic partner. Now I am less certain. Um, As I interact more and more with Chinese interlocutors, my understanding is that the sense of suspicion against the United States and the West is very deep. And those who advocate for even a more moderate, balanced perspective at looking at U.S.-China relations are very much of the minority. So I am, I'm not saying that I believe that there are no limits to China. I think there's just much more uncertainty now in my mind as to whether there are Chinese red lines such that if Russia does cross them, that China would significantly rethink its fundamental relationship with Russia. I think there are probably, if Russia, for example, does use chemical weapons on Ukraine, I think that will lead to more uh, a, a clear and more dramatic shift in terms of China's position on Ukraine. But what, what I worry about right now is it seems like in the minds of the Chinese scholars that I've been talking to, China can separate its position on Ukraine versus 
its relationship with Russia. And there might be some belief and maybe hope on the Chinese perspective that it can even have a more independent position with Russia on Ukraine, but still maintain a very good relationship with Russia overall. I'm not sure how sustainable that is moving forward, but it does seem to be a belief on the Chinese side that they can maintain that balance right now. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap this up. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining us uh, for such a terrific and insightful interview. It's really great to, to have you on here. This has been the World Review from the New Statesman. You can read all our international coverage on newstatesman.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or even an enemy and please rate us and leave a nice review. The producer has been Mae Robson. The team will be back on Thursday. I'm Katie Stallard. Thanks for listening and until next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.